I'm Aaron Sagers, and this is Talking Strange. Hello, all spooky nerds, and welcome to Talking Strange, a paranormal pop culture show with the Den of Geek Network. I'm your host, journalist, author, researcher of weird things, Aaron Sagers, also from 28 Days Haunted on Netflix and Paranormal Caught on Camera, now airing its sixth season on Travel Channel, Discovery Plus, and the Max streaming service. So this episode, we are talking about the new horror film, It Lives Inside, directed by Bishal Dutta and starring Megan Suri, who is best known for her role on the Netflix series Never Have I Ever. From the producers of Get Out and distributed by Neon, the film is written by Bishal Dutta and Ashish Mehta. And after generating buzz at South by Southwest last March, the film opens September 22nd. A teen-focused film, It Lives Inside tells a story of Samita, or Sam, a high school student in Los Angeles desperate to fit in. When she rejects her Indian culture and her Indian mother's ways, she's trying to be like everyone else. But when a mythological demonic spirit called a Pashash latches onto her former best friend, she must come to terms with her heritage in order to defeat it. The movie evokes modern supernatural horror like Insidious, as well as suburban teen horror flicks like A Nightmare on Elm Street. But it does so by introducing Western audiences to South Asian lore and demons. And the film is the feature directorial debut by Dutta, who was born in India, but grew up in California since the age of four. And the story is inspired by a tale his grandfather told him. I spoke with Bishel at San Diego Comic-Con last July and spoke with star Megan Suri the week of September 18th leading up to the film's release on September 22nd. First up, here's Bishel Dutta. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, this film, I'm really excited about it. And it's been getting a lot of good buzz because this really introduces elements of Indian ghost lore to Western audiences. And the framework is very much like young person, kind of teen horror, except with this whole new entity. When you were a kid, talk to me about learning about this entity from Indian lore. Well, beyond Indian lore, it actually comes from my own family. I heard stories about this stuff. So let me tell you a story. My grandfather told me, I grew up hearing this, that one time as a young man, my grandfather in India went to a family friend's house and the friend's daughter would carry around this jar, this empty jar and speak to it. And my grandfather says, you know, there's nothing in there, right? So she opens the jar angrily and tosses something at him, but nothing comes out, right? And so he goes home, he doesn't think anything of it. And that night he's hearing knocking at the door and then he starts hearing galloping horses or something. And the big one is one day he leaves out a pack of peanuts and he turns around and he hears chewing and then they're gone, right? And so he leaves the house. So yeah. this, is a, this is a story I grew up hearing and these kinds of stories are, are just all over our culture yeah. and, and all over the history of our culture. And what was great was as I, you know, once I moved to America, I, I really started loving horror films and the experience of horror films and the communal experience of horror films. And when I was thinking about making my first movie, I went back to that story. And the thought was, you know, that the American audience, they're so 
used to a certain kind of horror that I, I really love, to be clear. And so my thought was, if I can bring something new to something that feels familiar, to me, that's the key to what makes an audience love something, that they understand its sort of conceptual framework, but that they can come to it and go, okay, this is something unique within that framework. Mm -hmm. Well, and there's this immediate relatability with the story and the character because it's a, a young girl who's going to school and wanting to sort of uh, divest herself of her heritage and she just wants to blend in. I think every teenager, probably every person, uh, uh, can relate to that. But especially if you're coming from a culture and you feel like you're standing out in another place, you just, you just don't want to make any waves. So then you add to that, this sort of supernatural threat that that's very, well, maybe not the supernatural threat always, but it's a very relatable kind of story. Well, and what I love about what you just said, it, it's, the intention of the movie was never for it to be limited to a certain audience or a certain demographic or even a certain age range. Because to me, what I'm trying to make films about, what my partners at QC and Neon are trying to make films are about are universal emotions. And I love what you just said, because it is true that we all feel that way in high school. We all want to blend in. We all feel different. And it's only when you start growing up that you start to embrace uh, what is what is unique about you. And in this particular case, the super natural element, you know, it, it fit very well into that framework of that emotional story because the creature, the Pishash in this case, in our cultural text, it, it feeds on loneliness, it feeds on negativity and insecurity and these things. And I thought, okay, what better creature to deal, to, to go after teenagers than this? Mm -hmm. And it just perfectly kind of meshed with what the film was going to be about. Yeah. What are some of the rules or unique signatures of this entity that kind of makes it stand out a little bit? Well, the Pishash, the way it operates is in a very ethereal way. It's often invisible and it often can shapeshift. We focus a lot of the invisibility in this film. I think that was a huge part of it for me in that I subscribe to the school of Jaws and Alien where the lesser scene, the more that the monster is in the audience's mind, the scarier that it is. So those inherent rules gave us the opportunity to really build up a hype within the audience for what is this thing? What is its physical form? And then the other thing is, is that component of the, the more lonely that you feel, the more mentally unstable that you feel, the stronger that it gets. What we loved was this idea that it's not a thing that kills you. It feeds on you, but in it feeds on your emotions. And we thought that was that was so rich with possibilities and so so unique overall. Yeah, it's like fear fuel. Fear it's, fuel. That's a really great way to put it. Yeah. Yes. Do you think this is a film that you could have made like 10 years ago? Do you think the the industry, the landscape would have been ready for it? I don't think so. I really don't. Because I think that a watershed moment was uh, Get Out, right? I think Jordan Peele's Get Out, which uh, QC Entertainment, who produced this movie, they produced that movie as well. That was such a watershed because I think that the conversation around race was very monolithic before. And I think that what Get Out did was it gave us all permission to tell stories that weren't just about the binary of racism or not racism. Uh, Get Out is such a complex film. This is a movie really uh, less about outward racism or experiences of racism and more about how we feel inside and what 
what is kind of the internal insecurity that exists. And I think that kind of complexity, I mean, look, the horror genre has been fueling this cultural conversation for decades. It's one of the richest genres that's out there. But I think in this case, to have a film like this come out, to be supported by great producers, to be supported by like a, a distributor like Neon, you know, I think it speaks to certain changes, certain advancement that's been, that have been made in the industry, but also to, you know, kind of the strength and the core sort of belief in the mission that my partners have. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating, isn't it? Because, you know, we talk about more representation, which is certainly important. And a lot of times though, the conversation goes in the direction of more representation on screen important, um, and stories that are, that are important and artistic. However, we also need to talk about the, the popcorn fare yes. of it all. Absolutely. I'm so glad you bring that up for, for me. The popcorn of it all is what made me go to see the movies when I was a kid and I can never let that go. That is what defines all this. I remember going to see The Conjuring and kids daring each other to go see it because it was so scary. And when we got there and I, I then showed my parents that film and the screams, the, the recoiling, like that very physical kind of propulsive experience of watching a horror film, I'm very attached to. And as a result, you know, I, I think it's so important that we are, to your point, that we are expanding the horizons in terms of storytelling, but also that the audience feels like they get what they came for. I mean, I, I subscribe a lot to Steven Soderbergh's idea of almost what he called Trojan horse cinema, right? Which is the idea that you bring the audience in for genre, you deliver on that, and then there's real estate to provide them something more. Yeah. And, and I certainly, I know that you're not a filmmaker that is going to be strictly identified by your cultural heritage. And yet this film, are you excited about the fact that Indian and Indian American kids out there are going to have something that is kind of theirs. It speaks to their, their myths, their lore. And, you know, because certainly there's been everything else that's been represented for a long time and just not a lot of movies like this distributed in North America. It's a real privilege. It genuinely is. And again, I, I just applaud my partners for believing that much in the film, but yes, I mean, it's a film that I th constantly thought about what would I have wanted to see when I was 13, 14. And then seeing actual kids get to see it and talking to them afterwards, it's incredibly gratifying. And at the end of the day, what I get out of telling a story that's so rooted in my culture is ultimately what every artist kind of hopes for is the opportunity to do something real for them. And when I'm writing this movie, I'm not so much thinking about anything macro or big picture, but I'm getting to say, okay, this is, a lot of these are my experiences. This is what it was like for me. And so I'm getting to tell what feels like a truthful and honest story and do it in an entertaining way. And I think that really has always been at the core of what's made movies work. Yeah. Given the opportunity, is this something where you would like to explore other kind of phenomena, monsters, ghosts, and uh, other, other creepy crawlies from Indian lore, would you bring others to, to the screen? I absolutely would. I think it's an incredibly untapped well of great stories. And I think our culture has a mythology that is just robust and 
bursting at the seams with great kind of stories and concepts. And absolutely, I think I'm always wanting to hear what the audience thinks. Yeah. I want their feedback, but I feel strong about this. I think that these concepts are universally relatable, but they feel new. Right. And that's the balance we're all lo looking for. So absolutely, I'm wanting to bring more stories and more mythologies to yeah. the table for Western audiences. And that was Bishel Dutta, director and co-writer of It Lives Inside. Next up is star Megan Suri. Previously, Suri has been seen on the Netflix series Never Have I Ever. In It Lives Inside, she plays Samita, or Sam, who is just trying to blend in as a teenager and separate herself from her immigrant family. But the supernatural Pishash demon has another plan for her. So here is Megan Suri talking about her role in It Lives Inside. Megan Suri, uh, the star of It Lives Inside. I've seen the movie a couple times now, and I was fortunate to talk to your director, Bischel, back at San Diego Comic-Con, and excited to be talking to you I wanted to start off with this is quite a a big role for you to be taking on. And I was curious, you're dealing, your character is dealing with isolation as a teen, very relatable, isolation as an immigrant. And then you add to that this uh, haunted trifecta of isolation as a young woman who might be seen as crazy, but also dealing with a demonic force. <laughs> so it's... Yeah. She, my girl Sam is going through it for sure. <laughs> that. <laughs> well, what did you relate to within this role? Uh, hopefully not the demonic uh, hauntings. <laughs> I think uh, aside from the demonic hauntings, I think pretty much everything else was something that I either had a direct connection to or a direct experience with or a similar shared experience with which was part of the allure and I think immediate connectivity that I had with Bishop when we were speaking about this. And I, I just, I knew from a sort of intrinsic level, uh, the feelings that Sam was feeling um, as in, in, in those circumstances. And I've read that you were, you are a fan of horror movies. Is, is this correct? This is very correct. <laughs> What's what's makes up your horror movie DNA? What are some of the flicks that you really love or TV shows? Ooh, uh, I mean, I well, the first movie that I remember seeing as a child that stuck with me and uh, was like a real moment for me was Jeepers Creepers. That was sort of the first I think I ever saw, but ones that I would add to my sort of horror favorite list would be um, a huge fan of The Strangers. Um, there's a sleeper horror, horror film that I, it's not as mainstream, but I think it, it definitely deserves to be a uh, vacancy. I don't know if you've ever seen that. Um, huge vacancy fan. I like the collector. I recently loved barbarian that came out not too long ago. That was a fun one. Um, definitely the Texas chainsaw massacre series. I mean, I mean, the list just goes on for me, honestly, but those are some of the more immediate ones that come to mind. Well, we've been seeing a nice evolution of women characters and horror films that are, even though they're dealing with these trials and tribulations, they're not the damsels in distresses and certainly not helpless. Are there any horror, uh, women horror protagonists that you would like Sam to kind of be within the category of, like to be compared to? Ooh, that's a, that's such a great question. Uh, 
and I, and I'm so glad that horror is one of those genres where I do think that we do see more powerful female leads, which I think is so important. Um, it's, it's tricky because it lives inside is really, even though there are some very traditional horror elements that this movie is inspired by, it is definitely one of its own. And I mean, definitely it's own of its kind. So it's tricky to see where I see Sam falling into that. I would love to think that Sam could hold her own in this world of horror. That would be awesome. But um, if I had to pick, I mean, Sydney Prescott from the Scream series, like that, that's, she's so iconic in so many ways and she's survived every movie. Like that's awesome. Um, and one of the more immediate ones that come to mind, but hopefully it lives inside can make its own mark. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't know if they, they probably didn't communicate this, but in addition to being an entertainment journalist, I'm a big fan and, and professionally I talk a lot about folklore and supernatural and paranormal and yeah it's it's a weird kind of side thing that i'm known for and so i'm i'm familiar with these stories of the pishash um but i'm i'm curious are you finding audiences are ready to expand their cultural knowledge with regards to folklore and the supernatural and even demons i mean i can only hope that that's sort of what they take from it what i have heard some people even some of the journalists who have interviewed us um, which is really awesome to hear is that after the movie has ended they've gone and researched the Pishash and they're researching the mythology behind it which is sort of I think part of the goal of, of making something like this is you can only hope especially when it's a different cultural experience in your own um, it's something that you're interested enough to want to delve deeper into. But that's so cool that, you know, this is like what you do. I feel like we need to have more conversations about this. <laughs> yeah, it's, it is sort of uh, weirdly <laughs> the other thing that I'm known for. And I, you know, it's, it makes sense to me. It makes sense because we have, I don't know, like 5 million Indians and Indian Americans living in the United States. And when people grow up with a certain belief system or from a certain culture or move to this country, they are still bringing that lore with them. And it's fascinating to think that, you know, the, 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 the entities follow, follow the people that are immigrating and growing up here. They, they kind of make the jump across the pond as well. Absolutely. And I mean, they, st they've stood the test of time. I mean, India has existed for so long, so for the stories to continuously be passed down, I mean, hey, there has to be some truth to them. I don't know what it is, but it's definitely something that I think is what why horror is is such an under it shouldn't be, but it is such an underappreciated genre for that reason. Is maybe people don't necessarily want to talk about these things that are uncomfortable. Yeah, well, I mean, to the credit of of uh, companies such as Neon and A twenty four, it seems like the kind of the literacy of of these things is expanding for you my understanding is that you you were born in the u.s and then you moved to india for two years two and a half years and then you came back here correct yes correct so were there stories of these entities for you when you were growing up was this a part of your upbringing Unfortunately, but also fortunately, they were not. I, I didn't grow up. I didn't grow up with any particular stories that I remember from specific entities. Um, simply because I was going to school six days a week. I don't think I even had time. Even if my grandma did tell me them, I was probably too tired to listen. <laughs> um, 
but um, it's definitely been something that I, my, my grandma certainly told me her own actual accounts of experiencing paranormal activity. And those stuck with me. And, and those I remember very much so scared the shit out of me or crap out of me. I'm sorry. Um, and even my dad used it as a tactic or a ploy to, to, to get us to go to sleep as kids, um, threatening us with like, if you don't go to sleep, well, then this, this monster is going to come and get you. Uh, so it was, it, they were in my life, but not in the same way where I think Bishel was able to create a literal piece of work out of it. Well, you got to tell me what, what were some of the stories from your grandmother or even from your father that stuck with you and scared the shit slash crap out of you? <laughs> well, my grandmother was one story I remember her telling us about the house that we, we lived in while I was living in India about how there was a tenant that she had just recently allowed to live in the home. And I remember her saying like, I, it, it was something along the lines of uh, there were peanuts or there was like food that she had left out. And there's a door that connected the tenant's place to ours. My grandma always locked it. And she was saying, how, I think they had some kind of a disagreement or some kind of an argument of some kind. And the next morning when she woke up, um, she noticed that that food was gone, but the door was still completely locked and untouched. My grandma had a freakier way of explaining it, but it was just as a child trying to fathom how someone was able to like go through this door and who knows did what else, but there was literal tangible evidence of something being gone really struck a real like fear chord in me. And I was freaked out from that point uh, to say the less and never than this. I never really wanted to argue with my grandma after that either. <laughs> Anything that your dad told you to, uh, to scare you straight. My dad was very generic. His whole thing was, and I'm not even sure maybe you actually know this since this is like what you do, but he called it the babutola. I don't think it's actually a real thing. It sounds like the Babadook, but um, he would say often to us, like, if you don't go to sleep, the babutola is going to come and get you. And that was enough for all of my siblings to be like, okay, it's time to go to sleep. Lights out, no more playing around. Um, so I've got to actually ask him if like, what was that even about dad? I'm sure my dad has plenty of stories for sure. Uh, how old were you when you went back to India? I would say I was about five years old. I was there from about five to seven and a half. Yeah, it sounds okay. about right. So, I mean, pretty young. So this might be a, a difficult question to answer, but based on your experience, do you think that there's a different level of, um, I guess, I don't want to say spiritualism, but almost like different levels of willingness to accept the supernatural between you know, some of the kids that you grew up with in the U.S. versus the kids or adults you were around in India? I think so. Um, I mean, superstition, superstitions are so, so prevalent in Indian culture specifically, and even ones that, you know, we, we've had. And so I think that that overall culture of superstitions really ties into the supernatural and I think that that's, that's sort of just woven throughout India as a whole, certainly in South Asian culture, I'm sure as well. Um, but yeah, I think that um, India, I just recently talked to a journalist and she put it in such beautiful terms. India is such an ancient country and it's got such a rich history. And so I think that when you're met with a country that's a little bit younger, 
or quite younger than India, um, those sort of traditions and values and what you're scared of and, and the unknown are a lot more rooted in than the sort of stories that I think are now just generating in a very young country like the U.S., it, yet also it makes it sure perhaps more enrich, enriching in many ways because it is such an ancient culture and belief a series of belief systems uh but it also can make it quite scarier because honestly like now the the kind of monsters that we're used to we become so used to in horror western horror it's yeah it's relatively uh recent you know evils as opposed to like yeah. something that's like an old ancient evil where it's like well we really don't want know what the hell to do with this absolutely i mean that that is that is part of i mean the huge terror is like how do you destroy something or how do you confront something that's lived for so long clearly it knows what it's doing and no one's been able to stop it uh so yeah there 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 is that real elemental fear yeah, and it's you know with with a, the predominant amount of um, American horror or Western horror when it deals with demons, it's like it's typically Christian and Catholic based. Of and I was raised Catholic, so it's like I had my fill of you know I knew what you did. You call the priest, holy water. You do a couple of incantations, Bing, bang, boom. It's done. It's taken care of. But this kind of opens up this whole new world, and that's out of our depth, which is cool. But is it? It's also got to be exciting for you that you know, other Indian Americans out there can see these stories that it's like, okay, this isn't just, you know, Christian based, just, you know, call on a priest and use holy water. Sure, absolutely. Um, that's what's exciting. I think, especially just in general right now, I think what audiences are, I mean, maybe I'm just speaking from my own personal perspective, but I definitely think that part of what made movies exciting again is that we're so desperately looking for just new fresh takes on something um the, you know in the culture of reboots and, and and all of that i think what we're just hoping for is some real creativity and so it's nice to be able to delve into something as iconic as horror but you know add in a little fresh element for for, for audiences to hopefully grip their teeth into and something new to be scared of so on set of a of a horror movie, I find typically, you know, when you're dealing with a certain kind of topic, it just generates conversation about that topic amongst the cast, sometimes and maybe not always. So I was curious, like you and your cast, did it lead to conversations about superstitions, about what's out there, uh, you know, potential evils or other things? Did you guys chat about this at all? I wish, and maybe if there's a second it lives inside too, maybe that's what we'll talk about more often. But I feel like we were all just such goofballs on set. And <laughs> like most of my scenes were with uh, Mohano or, or, and I feel like also part of just being in the movie for like 95% of it is that I never really got to have a lot of downtime. <laughs> it was just mostly like, go, 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 sleep, 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 sleep. Um, but I think also when you're working on a horror movie, the way to get through it, especially when you're dealing with such layered emotions and such dark, intense emotions every day, like the only way for us to make it enjoyable and off of set, not that it's not when you're in it, it's so fun. But when you're off of set, it's like the last thing that you want. It's like when you get off of work, you know, even the last thing you want to do is talk about work but this is definitely something that I feel like I will especially upon speaking to you like I'm I'm more interested in this 
more than ever now. And um, yeah, I, I hope that we get to maybe do a second one. Did you, it's a job and yeah, you, you know, you're focused on a performance and then you rap and you're exhausted because you did do so much uh, screen time on this, but still sometimes this stuff bleeds over into your unconscious mind. The, the theme of nightmares is a recurring one in the, in the film. Did you have dreams? Did you have nightmares? Did you, you know, hear any strange noises, noises in your uh, place at night? You know, we, and this is one thing that's actually, I'm really glad that I get to talk about this right now because I didn't even think about this until now. But it, for certain movies when they're, especially like when we're dealing with the more demonic aspects of it, whether it's playing with the Ouija board or whether it's like calling upon a spirit, I feel like, like in The Conjuring, for example, I think that in those aspects, it probably would have lingered with you for quite some time, but going back to the sort of religious aspect of this movie, everything that Samita Arsan was chanting, whether it was looking through the book and the diary, um, it was all positive Hindu um, chants. And so I always, in the back of my head, when I get freaked out by things, I was like, at least I wasn't calling upon something. I was saying something spiritual and positive out into the world. And I definitely think that that had a play, but we did have two different sets of scenarios where um, stuff started to go wrong and it was very weird and a little too coincidental for it. And it freaked everyone out for a slight minute. Um, like for example, um, on Betty Gabriel's day of filming, the mirror shattered. It was just random, just randomly it shattered. And then the second day, we had a house behind our set catch on fire and seven is a huge theme in this movie. And I was trying to get everyone to jump on the train of like, there's going to be seven things that happen. And this is, we're on day two and it was happening consistently. And well, we only ended up to two, but I was hopeful that, whoa, I'm having a, I'm having a horror experience right now coming to life. <laughs> the, um, you know, Bishel is like such an enthusiastic director and I, I know yeah. he has ideas for sequels and you know like any good horror movies i don't think it's spoiling anything to say that there's there's material that could lead it lead into a sequel did he talk to you at all about some of the other things that could be explored uh through sam or through this universe absolutely i mean he has but i i really want audiences to have their own fresh take and and hopefully depending on the reception of this we'll be able to delve into and it lives inside too but um it'll be a fun one and it might actually I shouldn't say anything but it would definitely be something very cool and it would also and maybe you could catch on to this after but it would be the only way to to potentially defeat um the Pishash so might mean going somewhere else mm. and that's all I say <laughs> okay and then um just for you outside of like stories that your grandmother or your, your dad told you, were there any kind of, you know, where, like, let's say primarily in the U.S., since that's where you spent most of your time growing up, any kind of urban legends or spooky houses at the end of the street or, you know, the the bridge, crybaby bridge, any kind of lore like that where you grew up that you recall? Unfortunately, I was born and raised in Downey, California, and the most, the oldest thing that we have going on about our town is that we have like one of the world's oldest standing McDonald's. So there's really, there's no bridges, there's no cool spooky houses. Um, 
I wish I did. I feel like that would have been so, uh, it would have added so much more personality <laughs> to just where I grew up, but it's, it's very much so just to suburbia, which is like what Sam lives in and another connection that I had to Sam. Yeah. Probably an old McDonald's that's haunted though. Uh <laughs> hey, I wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> And, uh, you know, for if if we were to see Sam again and without, you know, without spoiling or showing your cards or anything, would you be interested in picking up Sam sort of the day after or a couple of days later? Or would you be interested in pursuing this character, you know, down the road as as maybe she's more of a more of a war weary uh, hero, you know, that's that's fighting monsters and demons? Yeah, I think I think the latter lends itself to be a little bit more interesting just to see, you know, how it's affected her day to day life um, and how she's navigated through that, I think, could be more interesting. And also just as I age, I think it's it might be a little bit easier for me to just from a physical standpoint, jump into a, a slightly older Samita as opposed to the teenager that we see currently. Yeah, I'm thinking Ripley here. I'm thinking, you know. Ooh. badass demon hunter uh samita yeah which was certainly bishel's inspiration by the way that was a huge point of inspiration for him so i'm glad that you say that yeah i mean look there's a lot of lore like the uh, nishi doc comes to mind you know this other i mean that's the beauty about indian culture and south asian culture too is that there's just there it's it's so diverse and there are so many stories and i truly hope that it lives inside is really just we you know just really a door that's opened up hopefully um the opportunity to explore more of those incredibly interesting terrifying stories what's you know just because cinema is such a difficult and fickle thing right now overall it's, it's challenging across the entertainment industry but what would you say is like, what, what's kind of your pitch to get audiences out there, get those butts in, in theater, in seats and theaters? Oh man, wish I was a better pitcher. Uh, I think that, well, for me personally, like cinema was a way and has always been a way for me to connect to either different relationship experiences, different dynamics that I have not experienced, understanding someone else's perspective, uh, and that certainly relates to, um, to, to, to cultural awareness. I mean, Bong Joon-ho even said in his infamous speech about how the, the, the caliber of movies that we can see will be elevated if we just get past the barrier of subtitles, right? And so I think that rings true. So I feel like it lives inside is really just lending itself as first of its own and, and an opportunity to explore um, a terrifying take into a culture that otherwise we don't see enough of. So if you're interested in hopefully expanding your horizons and expanding your um, perspective on life and about the people that we, we, we live closely with, I would, I would say it lives inside is a great way to, to delve into that and also just deal with your own. It's not, yes, it is centered around a Brown family, but there are, I think elements from each character or even just one that I think can resonate with really just about anyone from any walk of life well i know we're one winding down on time but i'll just throw this out there i mean yes it's it's about uh different kind of entities and evils and all that and it's exciting but it's also just squarely a teen horror movie and it fits within this classic teen horror movie genre along with everything else so if you're gonna pitch like a dream double feature 
It lives inside with what classic teen horror flick? Oh, man. I feel like just to play homage to Bischel, Scream is one of his favorites up there. But also it could be, I would say, because so much of the inspiration in this film was pulled um, from A Nightmare on Elm Street. So I think that those movies could be a fun one, too, because it deals with the same concepts and the same topics of like what is real and is what I'm seeing real and do will people believe me will they think I'm crazy and um Freddy Krueger was actually definitely one of those movies that he that character in general was something that kept me from sleeping at night obviously so I think that's a good one to add to the roster For sure. good back- when you're, when you're <laughs> most vulnerable sleeping and uh and the parents can't help really and the parent no one can help you yeah. have to figure out <laughs> Well, uh, Megan, I know we're out of time. I just want to say again, I really enjoyed the film. I, you know, I think it just, it's a great entry in the horror franchise, horror genre, and it's also a fresh one. So uh, best of luck with this. I watched it twice. Can't wait to check it out in cinemas. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate that. And that was Megan Suri, who stars in the new horror flick, It Lives Inside, directed by Bishel Dutta, who we also heard from. The film opened September 22nd, and I recommend checking it out. It expands on the notion of supernatural forces in the horror genre, and it really creates some new kinds of scares that I found fun and effective. So that's it for me this episode. I'm Aaron Sagers, and this has been Talking Strange. Until next time, be kind, stay spooky, and keep it weird. Talking Strange is a part of the Den of Geek Network, available wherever you listen to other podcasts. If you like what we're doing, share Talking Strange with your friends and fellow spooky nerds. And please, subscribe, rate, and leave a nice review. If you have a strange or paranormal story you would like to share with us, please email talkingstrange at denofgeek.com for a chance to have it read on a future episode. For video episodes of Talking Strange, check out twitch.tv slash denofgeektv and youtube.com slash denofgeekus. And please follow at TalkStrangePod on Twitter and at Aaron Sagers on Twitter, Instagram, and Patreon for more paranormal pop culture content. Yeah.